We're going to go ahead and jump right in. We're going to continue our series uh, that we started last week. The title of our series is Full of Grace and Truth. Full of Grace and Truth. And this has been a, a very um, important series. i got a different Bible that I'm using today. Um, and so it's a little bigger, so I need another stand. So this may look a little strange, but... Uh, i got to be able to see everything or I'm going to get lost and you're going to look at me funny and, and, and then I'll cry. So we don't want any of that. So we are in full of grace and truth. We're in week two. This is a four-week series that I feel is very important and very timely. If you were not here last week, um, week one is pretty important. So if you haven't seen it, it's a good idea maybe to go back and check it out. It's not that you won't be able to follow this morning because we're going to do a little bit of recap. Um, but if you haven't seen it last week, I want to encourage you to go online, watch last week's series or, or last week's message so you can have a better idea of what's going on. But in, in this series, our, our kind of verse for the series is John 1. 114 because this is discussing Jesus obviously in John 1 we see this beautiful uh, explanation of Jesus and 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 a very cool thing I, I always encourage people look at John 1 because uh, it's a really cool explanation of Jesus and his mission and who he is and all those sort of things but in John 114 is kind of our, our main verse and this is what it says it says the word became flesh meaning Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So what that means, we kind of talked about this last week, Jesus is 100% grace and 100% truth. Some of us, are, are we kind of tend to be more grace people or more truth people. And when we understand this, we talked about this last week, the, the, the or is not really optional for Christians. We need to be and. We need to be grace and truth people. And what we kind of understand that to mean is this, and this is in your notes. This is kind of what we need to do and be. It's we need to stand firm on God's truth, but we also need to freely give God's grace. We need to be both. We need to be able to stand on God's word, stand on the truth of God's word, not waver from that depending on what popular opinion would say or the culture would say. But at the same time, we need to be willing and, and, and excited about extending grace and love to people. Because sometimes we don't do that very well. Sometimes we're going to one or the other. And Jesus' example for us is to be both. But here's the problem with that. As we kind of get into the new part of the message this morning, how do we do that? We have a challenge. We have a tension in our world that we live in. And the challenge is this. How do we live in it and not become a part of it? How do we live in this world that is compromising so many things that says there really isn't a black or a white, there really isn't standards, there's not, it, it, it's what, what's truth to you instead of what truth truly is? How do we live in a world like that and not become like it? You see, what we're really this series is all about is a book study of Daniel. And what in Daniel we see is the children of Israel, these, these individuals. And of course, we know uh, basically Daniel and, and, and what we call the three Hebrew children. And we kind of talked about them a little bit last week. We're going to look at another passage in Daniel today. But they were in the midst of something very much like that, where they had to live in a culture that was anti-God, that was not uh, you know, put together on God's truth and God's understanding, and had to live in it, but not become like it. And unfortunately, in our world today, I see this happen a lot with us as Christians. We, we tend to kind of morph into the culture. We tend to become more like the culture that we're trying to make a difference in instead of affecting the culture for God. 
And so how do we do this? Well, we're going to look at a couple of things, but, but it's important that before we kind of jump in there, I want to pray. So, Father, we love you. And, God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time. Father, I pray that you would just speak through me. That, Father, that the words that exit my mouth would not be my words, but would be your words. Because your words actually change everything. And that's what we need. That's what we want. So, God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So to really understand this, I want to lay some groundwork here. Because it, 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 it's, it's an interesting thing, because if we don't understand kind of what we're dealing with, it's hard to stand against it. If we don't expose the situation that we as a people are dealing with in our world today, then it's hard to basically be able to look at it and go, I can see it, I can see the difference, I can see how I need to not be a part of that. Part of my job as a pastor is exposing those things to you so that we can see the difference and basically say no to the things of the world and yes to the things of God. If we look at Ephesians 5.11, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and this is what he says. It's very important. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. So that's the first part of this, okay? We need to make sure that we're not becoming like the world that we're trying to make a difference in. We need to be the influencers, not be influenced, if that makes sense. But then he takes one step further. He doesn't just say, basically, take no part in that, which is great and important and, and very much about what we need to do. But he says this, instead, expose them. Instead, expose them. What I want to do this morning is expose something that we really need to understand. And I think if we can understand it today, we can understand it uh, in a lot of ways because we see this, this idea and this concept all the way back in Daniel's day and even farther back than that. One thing I've learned about the enemy is he's not really original. Okay, And he doesn't necessarily have to be original. Because what he does tends to work over and over and over again. We seem to have an issue with that. And so what we see here is we see this idea, and I want to expose it for us this morning. Look at a couple of instances that we actually see of it in our world and in Daniel. And then as we kind of close it all up, how we can basically fight against it. How we can, in a lot of ways, be in this world but not be of it. So we got to expose some things first. And the first thing I want to expose is this. I want to expose what I'm calling the, the mindset of Babylon. The mindset of Babylon. Remember, what we see here, the, the, the setting of Daniel is not in Israel. It's in Babylon. It's a situation where, in a lot of ways, the Israelites have been conquered. And now they've been taken into slavery in Babylon. And so I want to help us to see that. Because here's the thing. Babylon is not just a location. Babylon is not just a location. It is a mindset. It is a mindset. It is a way of thinking thinking that we need to expose, we need to understand. And here's what's interesting about this mindset, and we're going to get into this in just a second. We see the mindset literally from Genesis to Revelation. We see it throughout Scripture. What does that say? What should we do as Christians who, who understand? Basically this, it means God saying, hello, pay attention, I want you to see this. Because it starts all the way in Genesis, and it goes all the way to Revelation. And there's lots of stuff in between, 
okay? So we're going to look at this this morning. We're going to understand this mindset. Now listen, I know there's a lot of scripture here, okay? Some of you that have been around me, you, you're like, okay, it's, it's a normal Sunday. But just stay with me, okay? Because there's a lot here that we want to get to. But we are going to start in Genesis. We're going to start in Genesis 11 with a story a lot of you know, but may not really understand what's all going on here. Look at Genesis 11.4. In Genesis 11.4, we see a couple things. Now, Monica, I want you to keep it up there as I talk, because um, I'm going to jump to it in just a second. But just so you understand, the first time we see Babylon, or Babylonia, depending on what translation you have, is actually in Genesis 10.10. 10. If you have your Bible, you can jump back there. It's probably a page behind. And what we see in that, and I'm going to do it with you, is this idea of basically these kingdoms that are set up. This is basically after the flood. And we begin to see Noah's sons and kind of the breakdown of those things, even some genealogies through in here. But basically what we see in Genesis 10.10 was these sinners of kingdoms. And one of them is a place called Babylon. It's the first time in Scripture we see it. Now, again, some translations say Babylonia, things of that nature. Now, we're going to remember that. Now we're going to jump ahead to Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, which is on your screen, we see this Babylon place begin to do something that you may remember. And this is what it says. This is what they say. And again, remember, this is not just a location. This is a way of thinking and a mindset that we're focusing in on. This is what it says. Come... Let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the earth. Okay, well, what, what is this town? What, what happens? Well, well basically, basically they, they are starting to focus on something interesting. They begin to focus on ourselves. All of a sudden, instead of obeying what God's asked them to do and doing those things, all of a sudden the shift, instead of going out, has gone here, ourselves. We want to be great. We want to be known. We want people to know how awesome we are. And it's the beginning of this mindset of Babylon. So let's continue now in Genesis eleven nine. 9. We kind of see how this story kind of figures out and, and works itself out. And this is what it says. Basically, God comes, and if you know this story, he confuses the languages so that people can't communicate. And this is what it says. It says uh, basically, this is why it was called Babel. Because there, the Lord confused the language of the whole world. This idea of Babel, where we see it in Scripture being located, is basically the same place in the same area that in Daniel's day, the city of Babylon was. There is a lot of theologians that believe very strongly that the Tower of Babel area and that city became Babylon. If you look in your Bible, listen, if you don't have a, a, a study Bible, okay, please get one. Get what you, you can get NIV, you can get, uh, American Standard Version, you can get ESV, get one. Because what's great about those, if you look, and I have mine here, like the NIV study Bible, you can actually see a parallel. They'll bring you back to the verse in Genesis 10.10 when they talk about this area. And then if you continue to look, we're going to look at other scriptures. And all of these scriptures are connected to each other. Okay, so now we started in Genesis. We're starting to see this idea of this concept and this mindset. Now let's go all the way to Revelation. 
In Revelation 17, we see this amazing vision that John is having. Now, I, when we look at these things, you need to understand we're not going to get into a great depth of understanding exactly all John's seeing. We're going to look closely at it, but, but just go with me. What John is seeing here is a vision that God is giving him to understand some things, okay? So in John 17 and actually in 18, we see this idea and this place called Babylon. And this is what John sees. This is one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came to me and said, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteryness. Let's continue. Then, I, then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And this is what he sees, okay? This is what he sees. Then I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was, was glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and, her, and, her, the, and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery and this is what it says. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. Now, some of you are sitting there going, what in the world are you talking about? And I understand that. A lot of stuff in Revelation, you're, you're kind of going, oh my goodness. So what I've done is, I, I just thought I'd make this easy. And, and I have written down what the ESV study Bible says about this portion of scripture. They basically, guys, are a lot, guys and gals are a lot smarter than I am that have said, this is what John is seeing and this is what it represents. And I want you to listen to this, it's important. Babylon's glamorous clothing and jewelry signify the allure of prosperity. Her name, which is the mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations in verse five, represents the lust of godless societies for sensual pleasure and the rejection of all restraints. Her becoming drunk on the blood of saints and the beast on which she sits reveals that in the cultures that defy God, an insidious conspiracy unites the relentless pursuit of wealth and pleasure and the ruthless exercise of political and cohesive power. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know any place that sounds like that. And you go, well, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's a lot of places in our world. That's a lot of places in our world. And we're beginning to see this. And so once again, we're starting to see a greater picture of this mindset. We're starting to see what becomes important in the mindset of people that are in that Babylon mindset. And the last one, and now I want to go into the middle. Isaiah 47. In Isaiah 47 and, verse, and, and, and 46, what we see is God is, is asking Isaiah to prophesy against Babylon. Okay? So this is Isaiah speaking to Babylon and the people of Babylon and the mindset of Babylon. And this is what it says. Now then listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am, there is none beside me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. 
Both of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day. Loss of children and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and all of your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness and have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am and there is none beside me. Listen, if there was a mindset of, or a motto of the Babylon mindset, meaning if there was one thing I want you to take away, that as you think about this mindset or the spirit of Babylon that you need to remember, it's this. This is the motto. It's in your notes. I am and there is none beside me. I am and there is none beside me. Why is that such a, why is that such a, 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 almost a horrible, terrible motto? Why? Because Jesus, God, back in Exodus 3, when, when he begins to have this inst- uh, moment with Moses, what does God say? He says, who, Moses says, who are you? What do I tell? He says, say, I am. The concept here is more than just what we're seeing on this surface. What we're seeing here is the motto is basically, I'm God. I'm in control. I know what's best. And I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. There is none beside me. You know what it sounds a lot like? The fall of the enemy. The fall of the enemy. You know, Satan said almost the exact same words when he fell. I will exalt myself. I will be great. I will exalt myself above God. Listen, listen, we talked about this before. You're either going to be a father of God or a son of God or a daughter of God or a daughter of the enemy. You're going to be one or the other. And the spirit of Babylon, this mindset of Babylon is a mindset literally from the pit of hell. Literally from the pit of hell. And that's what we do. I am. I am. So listen, let's get a little bit deeper here. What does the mindset of Babylon want you to do? What does it really want you to do? And I believe there's two things that it wants you to do. The first thing is it wants you to elevate self. Elevate self. Now, as we get into our notes here, we're going to move a little bit quicker. But how, how, does, how do we see this elevation of self in our culture today? How do we see the mindset of Babylon on the streets, if that would make sense? couple things. Number one, self-adoring. Self-adoring. Can I give you an example of that? Here, here is the typical pose, and please, I, I know I'm kind of, you know, hitting a little below the belt when it comes to the young folks, but you know what? I was a youth pastor, so I can't, so get over it. But you know, here is the typical pose of the self-adoring. Are you ready? Or, or the ever-popular, or, or the ever-popular, I'm standing in front of a mirror and I'm taking a picture of myself in my clothes. Because obviously everyone cares about what you wore today. I know, I'm a horrible person. Self-adoring, look at me. Focus on me. You know what's interesting? Scripture literally says the exact opposite of that. Our job is not to get people to look at us. It's to reflect so that people see Jesus. 
You see, that's why self-adoring can be so problematic. I'm not saying self-love. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about ourselves. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a good self-esteem. Why? Not because of how beautiful, great, or awesome we are, but because God has adopted us as sons and daughters. We find value in who we are because of what God has done in us. Not because of our Facebook posts or how many Instagram followers we have. But we look at it that way and say, look at me, see me. And we'll see why that in a minute why that so, can be so problematic. And the second one is the idea of self-building. Look what I have done. Look what I can do. You know, listen, I, I, I've done resumes too. And, and, and resumes are great for an opportunity to, to express to an employer, hey, I, I did a good job here or things like that. But, it, it, but th 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 that's a setting that, that, that works. It's like we walk around with people and it's like we meet them for the first time and they begin to tell us all the wonderful things they've done. And it's this idea of building ourselves up in the eyes of people. And the final thing is this idea of self-indulging and just more and more and more. And, and, and it's, it's okay, and I want this, and I'm going to do this. And here's the thing, and I want you to hear this, because this really concerns me. It's real easy in this moment to go, oh, yes, that horrible, terrible world. The problem is, is I'm seeing this stuff penetrating and really, really, really controlling a lot of churches. I remember talking to somebody once, and, 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 and it was not here, but, but they were having, we were having this conversation, and, and basically they made this comment. You know, I said, well, what did you think about the church, or what did you think about this church? And it, listen, it wasn't uh, in this area. It was somebody else that I knew. And, and they made this comment to me. They said, well, I, I, I went to this church, and I liked it, but you know what? I, I don't know if it meets all of my needs. And I don't know, we were on the phone. And I don't know if he could like hear my mouth drop. And he kind of, I mean, because he kind of froze when it kind of exited his mouth. And his, his response was, that really shouldn't be the criteria for a church, should it? And I said, no, no, it really shouldn't. But that's what we tend to do. And listen, I think John does a great job in this, but hear me here. There's a lot of churches and a lot of really, really popular worship leaders that sing songs, and when I look at the words, I see more of me and I than I see of Jesus. That concerns me. You want to sing a song to yourself, fine, but it's worship time. It, we're worshiping God. We're not worshiping us. And I love that John, when I look at his songs that he picks, man, they're, you know, you know yeah, there's eyes in there, but you know what? Those songs are about Jesus. It's worshiping him. And so this isn't just in the world. This is in lots of places. But not only that, and this is, again, this is why it becomes so dangerous, is not only is this idea of elevating ourself, but when we do that, we lower God. And that's the second thing. We lower God. How do we do that? A couple ways. We say things like this. Number one, God doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. We lower it down. You know why we lower it down? Because a lot of times we say the reason why God doesn't love me is because God isn't doing what I want God to do. God, if you loved me, you would do this. And we, we really lower God's love in that. The next one, and this is a big one. God isn't for me. 
God isn't for me. We, we, we think that. What does that really mean? It's basically meaning that God's out to get you. God is out to punish you. That you've done so many things wrong that God's out to get you. God doesn't work that way. God is for you. Listen, we, I want to talk about this really briefly. We believe something that's very important that you understand. You see, Jesus, when he, when he was on the cross, okay, when Jesus sacrificed himself for our sin, what happened in that moment was very powerful and very important that you understand. In that moment, God pours out his wrath, his judgment, his punishment on Jesus. All of it. You say, well, well, God doesn't know what I... No, God knew what you did yesterday. He's going to know what you did today. And all your sin and all your mess-ups and all the punishment that was supposed to be on us for our sin was taken and put on Jesus. He's put on him. All of it was there. So for you to think that God is punishing you is a very dangerous thing. Because what you're saying is this. If God punished Jesus for everybody's sins and then came and punished you again for your sins, God would not be just. Wouldn't be justice. If I got a speeding ticket and, and, and someone came up to me and I had a fine of $100 or whatever and they said, listen, I will pay for your speeding ticket. I will pay the $100. And I went to the judge and I said, here I am, I'm guilty, I've messed up, I, 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 I was speeding, I'm guilty. But here is this individual that is willing to pay the price for my mistakes. And the person handed over the fine, $100. The judge would be wrong and unjust if he said, great, thank you, that's $100, I appreciate that. Okay, Aaron, I want $100 from you. But that's what we think God does. And he doesn't. He's for you. He loves you. He's not out to get you. He actually is doing things to bring awesome things into your life and great plans. Sometimes what we find is our actions cause issues. They're consequences. And the final one, God expects too much from me. God expects too much from me. You know what you need to understand? Hear me here. God is going to help you to accomplish anything with him. I can do all things, not just some things, not just the easy things, all things. So God's not expecting too much from you. What we have to understand is when we're in that moment, we feel that way, is we run to God and have him help us to accomplish all the things that he's had for us. But here we lower God in all those ways. We lower God. Now, let's jump into Daniel. Let's look at an example in the book of Daniel of the mindset of Babylon. And like I said, I'm trying to stay away from kind of the more known stories, but I want you to see this story, and this is an important one. So we're going to look, we're going to, we're going to kind of look at a couple scriptures, and I'm going to kind of tell you what fills in the blank. If you would like to look at this more detail, it's going to be in Daniel 4. We're going to be in Daniel 4. But in Daniel 4, 4, we see this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, so Nebuchadnezzar is actually kind of dictating this story, okay, if this makes sense a little bit. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at my home in my palace, content and prosperous. It also says that he basically begins to look out and go, wow, look at how awesome I am. Look at my great kingdom. Look at all these things. It's the, the spirit of, and the mindset of Babylon on full display. 
And he, he begins this thought process and this idea. Well, what he does is he goes to sleep. And he has a dream. And in this dream, he begins to see something very interesting. He sees a tree. And this tree is massive. It's a massive tree. The Bible literally says it almost covers the earth. And, in, and underneath it, there are, there's fruit and, and beauty. And there's animals and all these sort of things. And so he's watching this dream. And he's seeing these things. Well, in one point of the dream, there's a voice that comes from heaven. And the voice basically says, cut down the tree. And that's what happens. The tree's cut down. They leave the stump, they leave the roots, but the tree's cut down. Well, obviously Nebuchadnezzar wakes up and he's like, I want to know what the dream means. So he brings in his magicians and his sorcerers and his wise men and all these things and says, tell me the dream. And no one can, can interpret the dream. And then they call Daniel. And Daniel comes. And in Daniel 4, 24 through 26, which is our next verse, Daniel interprets basically the dream. So let's go there if we can. Thank you, Monica. This is what it says. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass. That means seven years. Uh, by you, but before you, uh, seven times will pass uh, by for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Aaron, wait, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. I told you I was going to kind of go into stories in Daniel that maybe you haven't heard before. So Daniel says, listen, listen, King, you're the tree. And there's a lot of other imagery here that I don't have time to get into. But you are going to basically lose your mind. You know what I found? Listen, hear me here. You know what I found about the, the mindset of Babylon? It's a mindset of insanity. It really is. And I'm not trying to be a jerk here about that. I'm not trying to say they're... But, but when you think about what Babylon means, do you realize that Babylon literally means, the translation is confusion? Confusion? Listen, you look at our world and you look at... Hey, I got a good word for it. Confusion. In a lot of areas. So let's continue Daniel 4, 28. We're going to continue with that moment. So, that happens. Daniel has prophesied what's going to happen. Now we pick up the story. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. All of the stuff that I just talked about actually happens. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace, here it comes, he said, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as a royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty wow there it is there it is well what happens exactly what daniel says and for seven years the most powerful man on earth lives in the woods and eats grass with the cows it's an amazing story but remember and this is important there's a stump. 
there's a stump. Daniel 4, 34a, and then we'll jump to verse 37. This is what it says. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. And now let's jump to verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Why is this such a big deal? Because I believe that the spirit and the mindset of Babylon is really the root cause of every sin that we commit. This idea that we don't need God, this idea of pride, this idea of God not being for us, all these things are so important. But you know what? We see something very beautiful in that scripture. In, 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 in Daniel 34, we see Nebuchadnezzar raising and lifting his eyes to heaven. And when he does that, the confusion, the sanity, or the, the insanity, all those things go away. You see, one of the issues I believe very strongly with our world, and in sometimes the church, is we got our eyes right here. Or we have our eyes pointed this direction. And folks, listen to me and hear me. Sanity will not be restored until we as a people start looking up to heaven, looking up to God and saying, God, you are my source. God, you are my song. God, you are my strength. It is all about Jesus. Because here's the beautiful thing. Not only is there a mindset of Babylon, there is a mindset of Jesus. But how do we do that? There are three ways I believe that we can turn our eyes towards heaven. As we close, I want the worship team to come on up. We're going to finish this off. There are three ways. I want to give you some application. What do I need to do? How can I, how can I, okay, I understand what this mindset is. And if you're honest, I bet you there's some, there's some areas of our lives that we kind of have allowed that mindset of Babylon to creep into just a bit, okay? So now what do we do? How do we fix that? How do we turn our eyes to heaven? Number one, I, we make these choices. I will exalt God. I will exalt God. Psalms 145.1 says this. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. We take God and we take Jesus and we say, you're not here. You're here. You're higher. You're greater. You've got me. You've got to, you love me. You're going to take care of me. All these things that I feel, I exalt you. I praise you. I do these things. Because here's what's important that we understand this. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, if I am exalted, if you'll focus on me and show the world me and who I am and my love for them, then I will draw all men unto myself. It's not about exalting a church or a pastor or our denomination. It's about exalting Jesus. He is who will draw people to himself. And we do that by exalting in our lives personally. Next, I will acknowledge God. I will acknowledge God. Look at 1 Corinthians 4. This is what it says. Why are you so, what are you so puffed up about? I love that. What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, 
why act as though you are so great and as though you have accomplished something on your own. Listen, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Everything that you have, and I'm not talking about just stuff. I'm talking about relationships and your husband and your wife. All those things come from your Father. Listen, I am constantly reminded of that. I live with her. Do you really believe that I, on my own, was able to trick Emily into marrying me? Come on. You know me and you know her. What, what, I prayed a lot. And God brought her to me. Not because of me. It was God's plan. Hallelujah. It was God's plan. But I acknowledge him in that. And in your job, in your home, in your blessings, it's all from God. We acknowledge him. We acknowledge him, the final one. I will humble myself. I will humble myself before God. James 4.10 says this, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself before the Lord. Now listen here, hear me. This isn't about a mindset that says, boy, I'm just worthless and, and I'm not worth anything. You know, that is one of the most unbiblical statements you can make. Do you know that? This idea or this concept that just, I, I just, I'm just worthless. You know, we talked about that last week. You know, this idea of, of one of the name changes and what the name meant. The name literally meant worthless. You know why it's one of the most unbiblical statements? Because God gave his own son for you. The verse that everybody knows disproves your, your understanding of that. He says, for God gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, meaning every person, that accepts him will have eternal life. You are so valuable to God that he gave the very best he had to get you home. To rescue you. This isn't about saying how Torah, oh, I'm just horrible and terrible. No, it isn't. But it's also understanding that greater than you is God. Greater than, than all the issues is God. God has got us. But you know what? We have this mindset that's kind of penetrated our hearts where instead of saying, you know what, God, I want you to be glorified. I want you to be known. We've instead kind of said, you know, look at me. Look what I've done. I can't tell you how many pastors, and I'm just sorry, I'm just going to be honest, that I've met. And before they even ask me what my name is, they want to know how big my church is. Why? Because they want to, look at me, look at me. And it's, I'm sorry, folks, I'm, I'm just being honest, it makes me angry. Because it's not about me, and it's not about them, and it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's not about building our kingdom. It's about building his kingdom. So how do we live in this world that is honestly just about as opposite of that as you can possibly be? We focus on Jesus. We exalt him. We acknowledge him. We praise him. We humble ourselves before him. And then he will lift us up. How do we live in a world like this? That's how we do it. How do we, how do we going back to the very beginning, how do we 100% grace and 100% truth? 
we get away from the mindset of Babylon. And instead, we allow the mindset of Jesus Christ to come and penetrate us so that we reflect him. We reflect him. Last week we talked about it. The first thing they did to those guys was they tried to teach them the language and the literature and the wisdom of Babylon. They tried to say, we will convince you to follow the mindset of Babylon. And listen, hear me, and I'll talk about this really soon. There were some guys, I'll talk about it next week, there were some guys that did. But Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said no. And they literally, literally changed worlds and kingdoms, not only in their day, but we're talking about them still today. You see, when people will stand up and say no to the schemes of enemy, to the enemy, and yes to the heart and the, the, the mindset of the Father, literally, worlds can change. And I want to be a world changer. Not for me. Not so, wow, look at Eric. No, 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 no. So God can bring forth light to a dark world. So that as many people as possible are going to heaven with us, not missing out. That's our heart. That's our desire. So, Father, we come to you right now. And, Father, thank you for each person that's here. Thank you for each person that's online. But, Father, right now I'm asking that you would literally turn on kind of the spotlight of your Holy Spirit on our hearts and on our lives. And, Father, I pray that you would show us areas of our life where we've allowed this Babylon mindset to come in. And that, Father, you would show us that. You would help us to eradicate it. Father, I am so thankful that in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, there was still a stump. You didn't rip the stump out. You didn't rip the roots out. You left something there. Why did you do that? Because you wanted us to know, you wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know that you are a God of restoration. You are a God of healing. You're a God of forgiveness. You're a God of grace. And Father, you can make stumps come alive again. So Father, even if we have gone so far in our mindset that that stump has been cut, or that, that tree has been cut, even though there are people online that are looking at their own lives and they're going, oh my goodness, man, I, 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 am, I am the mindset of Babylon to a T. Well, I don't, uh, God will never love me. God will never accept me. I pray, I tell you, you, there is a stump that God can blossom again. He can make a rod blossom in the desert. And He can do the same in our lives if we'll let Him. If we'll just allow Him to do it. You're not too far gone. Your mindset isn't warped enough. God, in a moment, when you acknowledge Him, when you look up to Him, He can bring back sanity where there's confusion. He can bring hope where there's no hope. He can bring life where there's death. And so, Father, wherever we're at right now, Father, I pray that you would begin to bring hope into hopeless situations. Father, I pray that you would begin to bring life into death. I pray that you would begin to change the mindset of people and the hearts of people. So, Father, as we ask you to do that, I know you will. As we ask you to do that, I know you will. And, Father, I pray that you would just continue, illuminate, 
illuminate, Father God. And when we see those areas, we know we can come to you, we can repent and have you forgive us and do awesome things. We love you. We love you. Let's all kind of stay in that, that mindset of, of, of introspection and, and letting God speak to us. But as, as that happens, let's all stand. John's going to come. He's going to lead us in a quick closing chorus. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Father, thank you for loving us so much. <clears throat> thank you for loving us so much. And Father, now that we have kind of understood a little bit more about that mindset that the enemy wants us to have, Father, as, as individuals and as a family, we reject it. We say no to the schemes and the lies and the mindsets of Babylon and the enemy. And we embrace your mindset for us. We embrace that. And Father, we pray and we will ask every day that we just continue to understand that mindset more and walk in it and live in it and experience it and reflect it. Because that is the full life that you promised. And that's what you have for all of us because you love us so much. So Father, no matter where we are on our journey, we ask that you continue to illuminate the areas that you want to help us with and you would help us to continue to walk in your heart and in your mind and in your strength. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, thank you all so much for being here. I forgot to mention this earlier. We are going to have a baptismal service in October, okay? If you want to be baptized, okay, come talk to me, email me, because we're getting close to the, the kind of the date that I was looking at. And we do have somebody that wants to get baptized, so you won't be alone. Um, but if you would like to get water baptized, please come let me know. Email me if you're online, whatever you need to do, call me. Let me know so we can get that set up, okay? Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.